Good morning, Vietnam! <laughs> Sup, everyone. Uh, welcome back to Zangry Dome. Uh, this one is going to be a bit later in the week than usual. Uh, obviously, I'm going to talk about Fonte vs. Aldo and um, uh, Horiguchi vs. Pettis, but... Uh, I mean, I intended to record this straight away, right after the event happened, but uh, I went on a drinking binge. <laughs> and then I wasted my time by uh, re-watching uh, 90s uh, DC cartoons, which uh, hold up beautifully, by the way. Uh, they've, like, they've aged so well. Excellent storytelling, uh, great animation, still looks great. So... Uh, if you don't know what to do with your free time, then just... Uh, I guess now you have my recommendation. But as to the fights... Uh, I mean, what can you say? Like, uh, there's... Weirdly, uh, not a lot happened in those fights. Uh, in terms of, like, uh, stuff you can actually, like, break down sequence by sequence. I mean, I guess you could if you, like, tried, but uh, I, I don't think it's the focus we should have for this episode. It's it's not exactly as interesting as uh, uh, some of the conceptual stuff that uh, made itself evident during the course of those fights. And, um, yeah, uh, I mean, normally I would start with Aldo versus Font, because that's, I mean, that's, that's, what's, uh, that's what's on the tip of everyone's tongue, but um, I think... Um, Haraguchi versus Pettis would take uh, a bit less time to to break down, and I kind of like want to go in a in a chronological sequence, like in a chronological pattern, because uh, it would be easier for me to actually formulate my my thoughts. <laughs> These thoughts they've been kind of like sort of like stewing in their own juices for the last several days, and uh, it's not exactly like I've. Have uh, I should have been writing them down? Is what I'm saying. It's it's a, the problem. I it's it's a problem I have. Uh, when I whenever I think that I have lots lots of shit to say on the subject, I kind of like never write anything down. And when I sit down and go, oh yeah, now's the time to actually like formulate everything that's in my brain right now. I actually struggle to <laughs> to to do that. But yeah, uh, all right. I do have like. S some semblance of notes, though, however. So let me take a look at it. Refresh my memory a bit. So, so yeah, the fight. The fight itself. Uh, f fairly entertaining affair. Like, uh, it's. I mean, it's bantamweight. It's a bantamweight title fight. Even if it happens outside the UFC, it's still going to be interesting and fun. That Because bantamweight is the best division in, in MMA today I and mean, that's just how it is like <laughs> the amount of talent that we have there it's uh, it's frankly it's absurd and I mean I, I know the knee-jerk reaction of, ma of uh, many people would be to go no lightweight is uh, uh, the uh, best division in MMA like historically yes it, yeah it kind of is but in terms of like the amount of uh, big like, uh, bombastic events happening uh, around uh, several, like, really, like, big figures uh, in the division. Uh, you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Khabib, uh, Dustin, Eddie Alvarez, etc., etc., etc. It was big, it was interesting, it was violent. It was great. But, but, 
uh, the problem with lightweight is that, uh, I mean, we've always talked about how lightweight is kind of like, um, uh, how Habib was able to dominate lightweight because of its meta, and its meta is just not wrestling heavy. It just doesn't have a lot of, like, defensively sound wrestlers or grapplers. And that's why Khabib sort of like circumnavigated the uh, all the difficult matchups and just, just steamrolled everyone, which is not which is also like very interesting and great and uh, and uh, uh, a, a very intelligent thing to do and uh, took a, a great degree of skill. However, if you look at bantamweight, have you ever looked at a bantamweight fight and uh, noticed like? any, like, large deficiencies in anyone. Like, huge, like, gaps in skill. Like, uh, like, like okay, sure, someone might be a bit of a worse grappler than, than another fighter, someone might have worse defensive wrestling, but it's never, they never look like they've, that, that they're lost there. They never look like, uh, uh, I struggle to remember any bantamweights looking as lost as Dustin Poirier or Justin Gagey looked against Khabib. Which is uh, just a point in favor of bantamweight, and anyway, uh, the fight itself. Yeah, Horiguchi clearly had the uh, athletic edge. Clearly, much faster, uh, much more explosive, uh, more powerful, stronger as well. Like physically stronger. Like uh, has uh, never had any trouble wrestling. Uh, wrestling petters to the ground and then uh, trying to like l let loose with ground and pound but uh, uh, I mean it's it's not exactly Haraguchi's A game so naturally Pettis was able to defend himself well get up and then find his spots and throughout the fight it's everyone talks about the fight like it's a fluke and uh, like it, oh it's like a meme knockout the uh uh, the more boring of the Pettis brothers has been imbued with the power of his mimetic brother, and then, and now he he was able to, uh, to to uh, snatch away his knockout, his meme knockout finish. Finally, his first meme knockout finish against a, a good opponent. But nah, not what happened. Uh, if you go back and watch the fight, like throughout the fight, in spots, in spots, Pettis was still able to find connections in the pocket. In boxing exchanges, uh, in boxing exchanges, whenever they uh, went past like the first layer, and it's kind of like the whole style of the the Kyoji style is like the whole karate boxing thing. It's kind of uh, it has uh, a drawback in that it allows you to make big bursting movements, and it allows you to explode and like barge into range, and then you and connect with like the first strike. The problem then is stopping your momentum, which uh, Haraguchi and uh, someone like Whitaker do by planting their feet at an angle. It's kind of like it's a kind of an awkward motion, and kind of uh, forces them to take this split second to recover. And um, I've recently rec been recording like instructionals on boxing fundamentals for patrons. And uh, once I've, um, uh, well, the, 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 they're going to be published on Patreon, but there I talked about the, the subject of stances and moving within stance. And um, 
I brought up the contrast between boxing movement and uh, karate boxing movement, like as you see, uh, as you see it in MMA. Like with boxing, <clears throat> if you're a boxing heavy fighter, what you would normally do, and uh, what you would be uh, uh, like in any boxing gym, it would be presented to you as the correct way to move. And uh, the way you move is like you 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 you're like treading water. You're like uh, tiptoeing around your opponent, taking very very small steps. And I've talked about this on multiple episodes, and I've talked about how Piotr Jan moves around the, the cage, how uh, Terence Crawford moves around in the ring. And they took tiny, tiny, teeny, tiny little steps to reposition and uh, gain an angle on their opponent. And with the way Horiguchi moves, like, sure, it plays to his strengths in that he's a powerful, explosive puncher. And so when he, whenever he barges into range, like, does this big, explosive lunge, and off the karate bounds, it uh, it gives him even more power. It allows him to, like, uh, allows him to eat away like this enormous chunk of space and just explode into you and catch you off guard, catch you unawares. But if you don't go out afterwards, if you don't go like backpedaling afterwards, if you don't go oh fuck and run away, giving. Hiroguchi the space back and the time necessary for him to recover from that lunge. Uh, you can do like Pettis does, take a couple small steps, reposition, and and throw like an uppercut, uh, an uppercut left hook counter, or just a left hook counter, maybe like a right hand, whatever. Any counter will work. Obviously, the left hook would be the more powerful one, the the mo most potent one. The uppercut left hook is like the most violent version. Is, uh, of uh, of like the most violent counter combination that you could throw in this situation, <laughs> but I mean, admittedly, these moments were few and far between. Largely, Koriguchi was able to get away with his movement uh, because they just he has very quick feet, has very quick feet, and uh, like the way he moves around the cage is like very bouncy. And uh, everything is off the bounce, everything is off these sort of like lunging steps. Almost looks like uh, like fencing footwork from a sense, uh, from a certain point of view. Obviously, if uh, any like decent fencer were to look at it, he would say like, what the fuck is this? But the uh, you get the idea. Uh, and so Haraguchi would take these big circles around the cage and uh, reposition explode into back into range if he didn't connect he would do a good job of like knee tapping Pettis uh, clinching him but since uh, his footwork is the way it is he sort of like left himself uh, left this sort of like there was this once again a split second when he was vulnerable his feet were not not in position and he, his hands were down a lot of the time, and obviously, when you're at at a long range, it's easier to keep your it's, it's it makes perfect sense to keep your hands down, and um, even when you're in the pocket, if you're good at good at defensive motions and rolling with your shoulders, it's you can hold your hands down, but it's just becomes more dangerous, and you actually have to have an enormous degree of skill in the pocket to defend that way. But and obviously, Horiguchi doesn't have that, and so like slowly over the course of the fight. 
Pettis was edging away at it, edging away at it, finding like his spots, finding his spots. And uh, came come f- the fourth round, he started having way more success with these boxing exchanges. He would prolong and bait Kyoji Hiroguchi into these extended exchanges where he would connect with more and more counters, more, more and more counter combinations. And so Hiroguchi was forced to reposition more frantically, uh, more, more urgently. And with the way his footwork works, it uh, just made the movement more and more sloppier. And not in terms like of like, oh, he started just running and turning his back. And not, no, none of that. Just ever so slightly, uh, Haraguchi just started slowing down a little bit. And started like taking like a couple, like maybe a step that wasn't necessary, like on occasion. And uh, his movement started becoming like a little bit easier to predict. And so at the tail end of that fight, uh, Pettis was really looking to punish Gucci's, like honestly, really exaggerated lateral movement, like with like wider strikes, and punish that split second when he was uh, vulnerable when exiting the clinch. And so he threw a head kick, obviously missed with it. But what happened is, Kyoji Hiroguchi, it kind of the head kick still slowed down Kyoji Hiroguchi because he was forced to duck. He was forced to duck while his feet were like bundled together, very close. And when your feet are bundled together, obviously you're in no position to absorb strikes because you're not within your stance. And then, Petter spun through the whiff on the head kick, which like loaded up the punch even further, through like this spinning hammer fist, like almost like Pedrian-esque hammer fist with a spin, caught Kyoji out of his stance. Kyoji didn't see the, see the strike, uh, was completely was caught completely unawares, and then he went out. <laughs> Just perfect connection. It's kind of, it's very similar to the spinning strikes that uh, Peter Jan used against uh, Corey Sanhagen. The difference is Corey Sanhagen has an unbreakable chin, and he was caught a bit more at range, where he could sort of like brace himself for a bit before taking the punch. Obviously, one of them dropped them, dropped him, and also Corey Sanhagen has an immortal chin. Kyoji Haraguchi historically doesn't have an immortal chin. Uh, has been finished multiple times during the course of his career. It's not like, it's. I'm not saying that Haraguchi has a bad chin. I'm just saying he has a normal chin. It's a decent chin. It's all right. It's an all right chin. He can hang in there with the elites, uh, except that Pettis found this perfect connection, and this perfect connection sparked Haraguchi out. Really, really awesome stuff. Um. As for the rematch, uh, I'm not sure. I don't have an exact like read um, on their abilities and like uh, how it's gonna look and how they match up together. But personally, I think Pettis, as uh, the more fundamentally sound of the two, uh, fundamentally sound from a more of a boxing standpoint, where he can dictate these margins, kind of like edge away. At Horiguchi uh, to set up co- connect- good connections, I think he can win another messy decision if Horiguchi's um, chin recovers properly, and uh, if Horiguchi um, stays more conservative about his entries. 
could uh, conceivably like win a like a close back and forth decision. That's like my gut feeling. But also, since uh, Pettis has largely figured Horiguchi out, he may as well just dunk on him in these extended exchanges. I don't know. Or he may get sparked by uh, by a darting Horiguchi right hand. Who knows? Very interesting matchup, and uh, it's bantamweight. You can't exactly like go. Oh, now that this guy has his number <laughs> at this level, you can't. Um, and this is really like isn't just like uh, any, any any sort of slight on Haraguchi, because when two elite guys are fighting at this kind of level, the margins are are so thin uh, that if you lose concentration or if you like lose a step for for even like uh, basically like the slightest slip, uh, the slightest misstep can lead to you getting flatlined. So, really cool fight, even cooler finish, um, even cooler finish. And it just showcases that fighting is really fucking hard, and fighting is chaotic. Like, no one style of fighting is completely devoid of drawbacks. And uh, Kyoji was exploiting Sergio's flaws and winning, and then Sergio exploited the flaw in Kyoji's game and at the perfect moment and won. That's what fighting is about. Uh, do I think any of them, like, stand any any chance, like, against uh, UFC bantamweights? I mean, conceivably, they could beat some guys in the uh, top 10 or maybe even top 5, but uh, against guys like Piotr Jan and uh, the hero of today's podcast, Josie Aldo, uh, uh, not so sure. <laughs> Especially not against Jan. Uh, TJ, I guess, maybe, like, someone like Corey, maybe, but, nah, mm, it's a, it's a very large maybe, it's a very, it's like a huge maybe, it's a maybe with, like, multiple asterisks after the maybe, basically, I'm saying no, I mean, I don't know. I haven't thought about these matchups all that much. Uh, just, I'm just saying that if if you like look at the degree of skill showcased by bantamweights outside the UFC, and then you compare them to bantamweights in the UFC, it's kind of the difference is uh, should be pretty self-evident in some of the margins. And uh, I'm gonna say this a lot: uh, margins, margins, margins. And I generally like say this a lot, and uh, I like I probably never explain what it means. Just uh, basically, it's shorthand for all the small details that they that fighters showcase in transitional areas, like between in between striking and wrestling, how they tie everything together, how they tie their wrestling when they're grappling, etc. Or maybe like their intangibles, things like uh, uh, it's uh, these hard to quantify things like durability, gas tank, and uh, even stuff like will to win. And I'm not saying that bantamweights outside the UFC don't have these these uh, margins or don't have don't exceed some of these margins compared to some of the UFC bantamweights. It's just that the combination of all these factors in the current crop of UFC bantamweights is just it's too fucking insane <laughs> to uh, to be to like with any like clear edge in one single area you have to have everything uh, 
But anyway, uh, Aldo versus Font. Man. I mean, what can you say? Just Are there really any words? That's why he's the GOAT. <laughs> That's why he's the GOAT! The GOAT! 17 years into his career, clearly past his physical prime, like way, way past his physical prime. And don't get me started, oh, he's only 33. There's, there's a difference between chronological age and physical age. Your, like, your in-fight mileage and the amount of mileage that Jose Aldo has. It pretty much means, like, like in fight years, Jose Aldo is pretty much 50 years old. I mean, no two ways about it. At the lighter weights, when you fight as much elite opposition, as many elite fighters as Jose Aldo had, like, you get broken. It breaks you, the grind. Thai fighters are considered ancient when they hit, like, 29 years of age, and uh, then they have to spend the rest of their lives working, like, as uh, fucking cab drivers to make uh, ends meet. And, and uh, MMA is not any different. All the cardio problems are clearly exacerbated. Clearly exacerbated by age and the weight cut. Forcing Aldo to compensate by using uh, various wily veteran tricks here and there and reactions i mean almost short at this stage compared to his reactions when he was younger can't see one twos coming can't see strike uh, uh, straight punches coming goes ahead beats a top fiver like a guy who belongs clearly belongs in the top five of the rankings Beats him comprehensively, just suns him in every area, knocks him down in every round, and just sits on him. And, like, obviously, this fight sparked, like, endless, uh, sparked these endless debates, these ever present goat debates, goat, the goat, the goat talk. And I fucking hate it. I just intensely dislike this type of discourse. Uh, it just bores me instantly. I just uh, see no reason to participate in it, really. Except to maybe, like, clarify and or myth-bust some certain, like, misconceptions. But as the way people use the GOAT talk to further their narratives and, uh, like, um, one-up one another in terms of, like, their tastes in fighters or, like... Uh, like the way people take their fandom of a certain fighter as uh, and make it a part of their personality i just i don't find it find it interesting in fact i find it off putting like uh, <clears throat> i'm sorry media you enjoy should enhance your life not not define it and the uh, same goes for fighters same goes for sports and combat sports but uh, I think at this stage, if uh, I've I've seen obviously it's uh, it's a bit for like uh, an appeal to authority, etc., uh, etc. Et but and uh, biased guys get the fuck away from my from my comments and replies. <laughs> Just fuck off. But <clears throat> I think it's telling when multiple guys 
on separate occasions that that's like several guys that have on several occasions have clearly stated their distaste and disinterest in the goat talk have pointed pointed out that Jose Aldo has may have the best the best argument for being the greatest fighter of all time in MMA uh simultaneously like <laughs> obviously I'm counting myself and then Conor Rebush uh said it in the aftermath Jack Slack is a bona fide Jose Aldo is now a goat talk uh I'm sorry jo- Jack Slack is now uh, like Jose Aldo is the best uh guy for like bon- full on and he used to talk sh- a lot of shit on Jose Aldo for his uh, performances in his prime, when he would just coast, and he would endlessly, like, constantly make fun of it. <clears throat> and I think it's it's kind of telling. It may not be a coherent argument, and I admit it, it's not very scientific, but it, it kind of, like, it makes, it, make, it makes you think a little bit. And naturally, I'm not putting myself in the same ballpark as Jack Slack or Conor Rebush, no. God forbid. <laughs> Just way too young. <laughs> Presumably way too handsome still. Nah. Nah. I'm built different. I'm way, way poorer. And, uh, and I'm much younger and in, in the... In the uh, I'm at the height of my powers. I'm in my athletic prime, so to speak. But I mean, uh, I realize that I'm not talking about the fight yet, but it's just such a such a huge and annoying presence whenever Jose Aldo pops up and becomes the subject of discussion. Like, who's the goat? Who's the goat? Who's, who's the goat? JSP is the goat. No, Further is the goat. No, John Jones is the goat. No, it's Jose Aldo. And everyone like, the goes at one another and starts like ripping into each other and just everyone loses their minds it's just everyone loses their sense and uh, the uh, this discussion about the greatest of all time i guess it has its its place in the uh, combat sports discord it's just part of any sporting discord but it's it serves its purpose as a good conversation starter for in improving analysis, I think it's it's a good conversation style starter for you if if you want to compare criteria, if you want to figure out what criteria matters should matter more, if you want to engage in collaborative in collaborative I'm sorry discussions with your peers and figure out how to evaluate skill, how to evaluate longevity, how to evaluate the various criteria by which you judge fighters. And improve your understanding of those fighters. Improve your understanding of their styles. Improve your understanding of how different styles work of one another. It's the same thing as a pound-for-pound list discussion. It's not... uh, The end goal is not to settle... It shouldn't be... The end goal shouldn't be to settle on a clear list of who goes uh, above who. The goal is to gain, for me at least... The goal is to gain a better understanding of the game. A better understanding of what is happening there in the cage. A better understanding of uh, uh, what makes a fighter special. It's kind of like analysis in itself. The goal of good fight analysis is to not like get the outcome correctly. It's to nail down. It's to pin down and 
figure out the dynamic of the fight, how the fight will look, how it will go. What will be the margins, how the margins play against one another, how the different styles interact with one another to lead to a specific uh, picture of the fight. And the closer you get to the actual reality of how the fight went, the better your analysis becomes. And the better your analysis becomes, and the clearer you're able to picture the uh, dynamic of the future fight, then, then, like, through this process, through this clear process, you will begin uh, nailing these fight outcomes. You become, you just get better at predicting fights. Like, as a consequence of a clear, good, and clearly de clearly defined and, uh, like, verified process that uh, you constantly rehash and um, discuss with your peers. And, uh, like, everyone talks about how the fight site is a bit of a, like, the common criticism level that the fighter is that we're like kind, of, kind of like a, a hive mind and the like, fucking come on man, <laughs> just we fight with each other like every other day, we shit talk one another every other day, we rip into each other over our criteria, over our, our analysis, and uh, it's just it, it's it's just peers arguing with one another to get better to get closer to the truth it's how you figure out stuff the reason why we may vaguely agree on certain concepts is because we like spent literal hours arguing with each other to figure out what seems to be the correct answer if you were to join our discord and like spend any amount of time in the discord with our patrons and our staff members you'd realize that i basically like me and sriram go at it Every other day, every week, we shit-talk each other. <laughs> Ryan shit-talks everyone, and everyone shit-talks Ryan, etc, etc, etc. It's just endless shit-talking everywhere. Me and Dan recently, like, got into a huge argument over, like, how the fight of between Dustin Poirier and Justin Gagey actually went. And we both watched that fight dozens of times, so we know what we're talking about, we remember it clearly, and then we rewatched the fight again. And I mean, yeah, we have Jose Aldo as our number one. We've had uh, Jose Aldo as, Aldo as our number one uh, for for quite a while now. Uh, the first series that the fight I had ever wrote and on uh, was uh, the top twenty greatest martial artists, mixed martial artists uh, in history of the sport, and uh, <clears throat> Jose Aldo has been number one for ages now, and uh, the, the fight side founder, uh, Kyle McLaughlin, fought tooth and nail <laughs> to not have Josie Alder out <laughs> as, uh, on the top of our list. And he's still, like, vehemently against this idea, and uh, it's, just, <laughs> it's just very funny. <laughs> and... Uh, and in the wake of everyone, like, going, oh, now Josie Alder is clearly the goat. He, like, you doubled down on it, and uh, like, <laughs> he said that GSP coming back and beating like a short for Michael Bisping is more impressive than Josie Aldo going on a tear through the bantamweight division. <laughs> just like, just don't get it. <laughs> like, what the fuck are you talking about, Kyle? I'm sorry. <laughs> like, what? <laughs> like, uh, okay, he won the belts, but 
if you <laughs> I mean valuing the belts so much in MMA it's like it's, it's basically like the same as letting Dana White dictate who the best fighters are you're just basically agreeing with Dana White and the reason why everyone like at the fight at the fight side got assembled was because there's just so much so many like dumb misconceptions about fighting many of them created by Joe Rogan and Dana White for the clear purpose of uh, selling product and so <laughs> when we started doing that Kyle got extremely mad uh, just a really hilarious situation I think and I know this comes across as me like shit talking the former founder, <laughs> like the founder of the fight side, who is a former staff member and like decided to go out on his own. You know, all power to him. It's uh, just uh, this fact doesn't it doesn't prevent me from actually engaging with the person and like actually arguing with him on a daily basis. And I think this this is the sort of thing that we should have more between different analysts. We should like collaborate with one another. Uh, go on each other's shows and like shit talk each other to finally like settle on a more correct answer or maybe like on a on some find some kind of middle ground and find some uh and uh improve our understanding of certain um uh of the variables that we're working with i think that's just would lead to a much more much uh, healthier discourse overall in combat sports and just better analysis <laughs> anyway, the reason I'm bringing this up is because I uh, I saw what Kyle was posting <laughs> in the wake of the fight and like told him like I said like what, what the fuck are you talking about, man? Like what is this? Just come on! <laughs> and he blocked me. Fucking out. And Kyle has had through unblocked for like half a year and then he unblocked him, so I guess I have to wait for half a year and then we can interact again. <laughs> uh, but anyway, the fight. So, the fight. Uh, Rob Font did, like, um, Rob Font actually fought the perfect fight for, with, uh, to, for his attributes. Like, he fought his heart out. Uh, he fought to his strengths, didn't do anything stupid. Uh, clearly knew what he had to do, just stay in his Aldo's face and um, pour on volume, try to gas him out, give him fits on with the jab, and he did give, give Aldo fits with the jab. Aldo came in, prepared to cross counter the jab, and uh, Font would constantly like play with the rhythm, play with the uh, like he would play with the rhythm and speed and range of his jab, and he would and, and he jabbed Aldo up. Jabbed Aldo up, made him miss with a cross counter, connected with counters of his own. There were separate occasions where he would draw the cross counter, slip the cross counter, and then like punish the cross counter with a body shot. It was gorgeous. Excellent, excellent, like very good fundamental boxing. He would like win these exchanges. He would win exchanges and make Aldo work and make Aldo. Uh, exert himself constantly by trying to roll with these punches and defend them. And admittedly, Aldo has done a very good job of defending most of those punches. But he couldn't defend the jab, and he couldn't defend the body shots. And it was very alarming, because as we all know, we all know Aldo's cardio issues. Even though after this fight, 
it might seem like it's overstated, but then again, Aldo had to lay in prey for large stretches of the fight to sort of like get his bearings back. But <clears throat> anyway, on the feet, yeah, Aldo would uh, jab Aldo, oh, fucking font would jab Aldo up, connect to the body, and then at, like at certain moments, Aldo would find a spot where he would set up a combination. May it 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 would be a one-two or maybe a three-two. Uh, like these simple two-punch counter combinations, and he would just send Font reeling. He would put Font on ice skates and send him like stumbling all over the octagon. He would every round when Font was just about to get ahead. Aldo would make him do the chicken dance. So he would rock Font's world each time, and then Font would have to go back, like, try to recover and go, fucking hell, and, and he, now he's back to square one. And he has to do all this work to get back into the fight. It's enormously discouraging. It's just... And incredibly mentally taxing. And it sort of like puts Aldo and Font on even ground in terms of or in terms of cardio, and also Aldo was clearly the much the much uh, the much stronger fighter of the two, <laughs> with a much more filled out frame, and uh, smothering on top, absolutely smothering on top, and uh, Aldo would knock Font down and then sort of like grapevine him and just turn into like this. <laughs> almost turn himself into like a parasite that clings to Font and doesn't let go for the rest of the round. And obviously, like, like one of the criticisms you could level against Aldo was that it's just lay in praying. You can't give him any props for just stalling out the rest of the fight. But, uh, like, honestly, the the way he controlled Font on the ground is kind of impressive. Constantly adjusting his position, constantly like, uh, re like constantly regaining deep half, constantly, uh, constantly regaining mount, constantly like. And Font was doing a really great job of uh, retaining his guard, but then Aldo would just slice through it and then go to. Uh, he would like tripod pass, he would smash pass, and he would uh, go to side control, then he would go mount, then he would go deep half again. Really, really great control, but. The one criticism you could level against Aldo is that if you let loose with ground and pound, he might have finished Font on several occasions, but uh, he just didn't do it. And, uh, I mean, that's just vintage Aldo. Aldo is just not, not that good of a finisher. <laughs> he, he would just rock Font and then throw, like, a flying knee for no reason. Admittedly, those flying knees connected, but they didn't, like, connect, like, flush to put uh, Font, uh, uh, like, flat on his face. But anyway, uh, and uh, he didn't kick for the first round until uh, Pedernera's actually like yelled at him to finally like start kicking. And yeah, early on, Font was uh, giving like switching stances a lot, giving off different looks. So maybe that given Aldo some pause. But then again, you can very easily uh, kick people in the legs while they're sw while they're switching stances. It's not anything like. It's not too difficult, and Aldo certainly could manage that. But anyway, Aldo went back to leg kicking, and started leg kicking, started leg kicking, uh, started like punting Font's leg from under him. Uh, he went to the body, uh, 
But then again, like... The way Aldo punches, he is obviously a gigantic puncher, and his uh, mechanics when he's punching to the head have much improved. He's no longer swinging these gigantic badonkadonks. <laughs> he no longer throws these Marge Simpson uppercuts, but he still throws the Marge Simpson uppercuts when he's throwing to the body. So one has to wonder if uh, these body punches exhaust him just as much as they exhaust the other party. Uh, but anyway... Uh, knocked, kept knocking Font down and uh, and uh, just sat on him for the rest of the fight clear clear almost essentially like a like basically like a 50-40 50-45 or maybe a 50-46 for Aldo just easy uh, and who does that? <laughs> just who does that? at this age 17 years deep deep into your career, after multiple grueling, immensely violent fights against top opposition, after getting sparked, pick yourself back up, go on a tear through the division again, lose again, move, move down in weight after... A like after a history of horrific weight cuts draining your draining yourself like to the point where Aldo looked like a like a fucking basically like a living corpse in the weigh-ins go down in weight have a competitive fight with one of the title challengers Lose in horrific... Have, well, first of all, have a, an extremely competitive fight for the first three rounds against one of the pound-for-pound -pound best fighters ever in the sport. Get ten shits kicked out of you due, due to, like, the ref's negligence. Go back, win again, and again in three rounders. Where okay, you could I guess you could leverage your power and size and skill to kind of like well in the first fight he stole out Chitovera on top after dominating like the the first uh, one and a half rounds on the feet and then against Pedro Munoz he boxed him up uh, boxed boxed Pedro Munoz's face off for three rounds okay that's three rounds and now a five rounder against the top fiver. A fighter who is clearly very durable in his own right, knock him down in every round, and then just not let him, not let him get back up again until the uh, until the final bell sounded. Who does that? And this run, this run through the best division in the sport, against the best fighters in the world. After. After like forty fights. After like 35 fights, Jose Aldo now has, he's fought 38 fights. He's uh, 31 and 7. 31 wins. Fyodor Emelianko is 40 and 6. Largely against like these like huge overweight lumps of flesh. In one of the worst divisions in the sport. 
And I fucking love Further, but uh, I mean, their resumes are just not comparable. Come on. I mean, obviously, Joe Simpia, he still has a really great argument like for, for still remaining the uh, greatest champion in MMA ever, the greatest fighter, but... <laughs> I mean, going back to beat a Michael Bisping, a one-eyed Michael Bisping who went life and death with a geriatric uh, like Dan Henderson a fucking Triassic era Hendersol and like it's extremely impressive that uh, uh, George St. Pierre took all this time off to address all the issues that he's had against Johnny Hendricks uh, a fight that many would agree that he lost it's a firmly held belief amongst amongst many fight fans and then come back and like showcase uh, that he's much improved against uh, an opponent at a, at a new weight class but I mean it's not like he was fighting Robert Whittaker he wasn't fighting Yoel Romero and everyone knew back then that the real champion the one who really deserved all the praise and uh, accolades as the real champion was Robert Whittaker back then like compare Michael Bisping versus Dan Henderson and uh, Robert Whittaker versus Yo Romero. Just you can't compare them. It's it's it should be self-evident <laughs> who the better fighters are, because this is what Jose Aldo essentially did. He kept fighting elite opposition throughout, and after having a dominant title reign, a, a title reign that is clearly about as comparable to GSP's title reign, uh, picked himself up after a horrific loss, again fought against some of the greatest fighters the sport has ever seen, uh, went on a tear through contenders, again started fighting some of the best fighters ever, and now he continues through his this tear of the uh, top five and the most competitive Divisions in the sport. The most competitive division in the sport. If you don't want to put him on your GOAT list for whatever arbitrary reason you, that you could cook up, I mean, I, I mean, personally, like, I don't have a, a greatest of all time list, like, myself, but the way I saw all these greatest of all time discussions go, usually, it kind of, to me, it seems like a, the, this, like, uh, the, this, uh, it's like a, the scene from American Psycho, the uh, Paul Allen card scene, <laughs> like Christian Bale take takes out his car, his card, and like shows it, and it's like uh, number one, like um, I don't know, uh, fucking number one, Fyodor Emelianenko, number two, like GSP, number three, um, uh, I don't know, fucking uh, Anderson Silva, and then. Uh, <laughs> Joe's elder, etc., etc., and everyone goes, mm, well, mm, "Yeah, that's nice." And like, I, like, take a look at mine, and then <laughs> and it's GSP, Joe's elder, uh, Max Holloway, Habib, someone else, and everyone goes, "Yeah, mm, And then the other, uh, some other guy, like, goes, "Like, I have GSP on top," and everyone goes, mm, "Like." Like very nice, and then, <laughs> and then 
obviously no one goes very nice in response to these cards. They actually start fighting right away. But for the sake of the joke, for the sake of the joke, someone goes, let's see Paul Allen's card. And then Paul Allen takes out his card. And then he has Conor McGregor on top. <laughs> He's like, <laughs> like, oh my god. Oh, the hotness of the steak. Oh. <laughs> Because this is what happens usually, like, someone would have, like, an atrocious goat list, and then some other person would have a slightly less atrocious goat list. Some person would have, like, a slightly agreeable uh, goat list, and then uh, the fight side came up with, a, like, a, a goat list because we actually, like, rehashed our criteria. Like, we actually came up with clear criteria and spelled them out in every in every article that was ever written and discussed them at length before... Uh, kind of ripped into each other for having like sort of like views against specific fighters argued for days on end and then came up with a list that is going to be adjusted in the future anyway and then other people saw it and figured oh they, this is such a hipster list I'm not going to like I'm not going to listen to these hipsters and like decided to become anti-hipsters but the problem is when you become an anti-hipster what you do is you just circle back around to having normal opinions. <laughs> just circle. Just, I'm gonna have casual opinions just in response to, to, to hipster opinions. Like, what is this? Like, why? <laughs> you know what? I'm probably the one staff member that cares the least about these discussions. Uh, but... Uh, I figure we, we might as well, uh, might as well. I'm sorry, come up with uh, something different to call these uh, discussions, these lists, these uh, top top tens, and uh, might call it. I propose a cow list. Jose Aldo is the cow. He's number one, pound for pound, in my cow list, in my coolest of the world list <laughs> why a cow because a cow is larger than a goat that's how i picked it <laughs> it's just a list of fighters i really like no clear criteria i just like them number one jose aldo number two steve garcia <laughs> why steve garcia because he dominated luis peña while hanging out in a backpack ride and throwing overcuts <laughs> throwing these strikes that i like to call overcuts he would like loop his fists around to hit uh luis peña in the face while still uh in this uh, body triangle on the ground number two i'm sorry number three francis Ngano because he's large and can punch number four yuri prohaska because because he has a like a, a funny hairdo <laughs> and on and on the list goes on uh, Jose Aldo is the cow he, he, he's a cow he's even like he's even larger than a cow he's a water buffalo he's a water buffalo and I rotate him in my mind and I ponder him like a sphere just doing everything in their power to make sure this podcast doesn't like ages horribly <laughs> by putting in references to Twitter memes. <sighs> Alright. 
bit of a shambolic episode, isn't it? And uh, I, I wasn't sure if I actually want to record anything this week, but I have to because it's my job, and I have had to provide some actual analysis on the fights because uh, the MMA podcast is currently on hiatus. Hiatus, hiatus. I don't, I don't know how you're supposed to pronounce that word. Hang on. Uh, uh. Hiatus. Hiatus. So yeah, hiatus. The Fight Sites MMA podcast is a, on a bit of a hiatus, so I have to stand in and provide week, weekly breakdowns. Yeah, no, I'm sure. Uh, oh, by the way, Sriam, I think, mentioned to me that he he's gonna write uh, post fight breakdown. So stay tuned for that. So stay tuned for a written article on Font versus Aldo. Not sure about any breakdowns on uh, Horiguchi versus Pettis, but uh, I would recommend, however, that you go back and check out the preview for Horiguchi versus Pettis that is done by Fenio, and it is up on our. Uh, on the Fight Side Presents uh, YouTube channel. And the reason why I'm asking you to go back and watch the preview, because it pretty much gets the whole dynamic uh, correctly, which is interesting. It's always interesting to go back and listen to some of the predictions. I think it held up very well. And what else? Oh yeah, we have uh, Oliveira Chakiolos versus Dustin Poirier this week. Is uh, Is this week, so... Uh, I think we're going to do a roundtable. Uh, or maybe like Fenyo and Dan will band together and do a full preview of that pay-per-view. So certainly stay tuned for that. Not sure about the staff picks. I think I think Sriram is going to be writing the staff picks and uh, someone else will hop in to write their predictions. We've, we've been pretty horrible with our staff picks predictions. <laughs> written staff picks uh, lately because we're much too lazy to actually write stuff down. Everything is much easier when you can just spell it out in the podcast. Uh, yeah, otherwise, that's pretty much it. And yeah, uh, check out the Fight Site on Patreon. Support us if you would like. I've been recording the alternate commentary for all the fights uh, are up there on Patreon for three bucks per month. I've also been recording alternate commentary for various random fights. Uh... Me and Fenyu have done multiple fight watch marathons. We would pick a division and then fight, th- and then I'm sorry, and then watch three rounders from that division. The cool, forgotten, maybe underrated or maybe just old three rounders from the division, like uh, just watching cool fights. Certainly check it out. And I'm working on a on an instructional that is uh, that has to do with boxing fundamentals, where I explain stuff like. Stance, moving within stance, uh, securing positioning, and uh, proper punching mechanics, that kind of stuff. And it's going to be released on Patreon as well. Not sure about the price yet, but I don't think we should. I don't think I'm going to be. Uh, I'm going to. I'm going to sell it for fairly cheap, and so I think I'm going to release it with along with everything, along with everything else. Uh, that so. Maybe if you subscribe at the three dollars, it'd be it'll be there alongside all the alternate commentary and the breakdowns and uh, all that kind of stuff. Also, five bucks per month, and you may join our Discord and watch us talk shit with one another <laughs> and uh, converse with other like-minded fight fans. 
uh, we're trying to facilitate like um, a creation of like a community where everyone can actually like civilly discuss fighting and improve their knowledge through actual like more or less kind of kind of sort of scientific way and uh, or at least more reasonable way than it is uh, than you can currently see on twitter and uh, other social media and uh, reddit and that kind of stuff so if you're tired of all the goat talk if you're tired of all the dumb arguments going on online join our discord it's five bucks per month gives you access to all our content it's a steal also a very supportive community if you want tips uh, if you want training tips, if you want to discuss, like um, if you just want general life advi advice, if you want to find friends, um, just that's the place for you. Uh, it's we're a very accepting community, and even if you think that you're shite at fighting, even if you think you suck, it, you're training. It's training. Just uh, it's normal for you to look. Uh, look kind of subpar in training. That's why you're training, to become better. If you want tips, just, you know where to, uh, you know the place to look. All right. Uh, uh, I think that's enough of that. I've plugged everything that I could plug. And I'll see, I guess I'll see you next week. Moo.